Good morning, Hicks and Prez. It is uh, good to gather with you again on this uh, Lord's Day morning, on uh, uh, this Palm Sunday. It is the Sunday that we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, you know that it's his Passion Week, and the week leads up to his uh, crucifixion on Friday and then Easter on Sunday. Uh, it's a little weird to be celebrating this week uh, like this together while we're apart, uh, but it is the way of things right now. Uh, on this Sunday morning, I uh, wanted to return to our study in Romans. The last uh, number of weeks, we had been working through a study on the book of Romans. And a few weeks ago, I preached a sermon out of Romans 1.16, and we talked about uh, not being ashamed of the gospel. Uh, and then uh, this week, we're moving on to Romans 1.17. And as we look at this verse, it, it is a, it's a famous verse because a, a famous man was converted by it. Uh, and so there's no better person than the great reformer himself, Martin Luther, uh, to speak from this verse, from his own experience, his own testimony of how God used this verse and his understanding of it and the, and the gospel in it uh, that converted him and changed him, but not only changed him, but changed the whole world and sparked a reformation. And so we've invited Martin Luther to come here and share with us this morning. And so... Uh, Without further ado, uh, we're going to invite Martin Luther to come up. My friends, it is my great privilege and my honor to uh, have been invited to be with you this morning here at Hickson Presbyterian Church. I've heard a great many things about you, uh, about your faith and about the love and the care of this congregation. And so it was my privilege when I was invited to come and share with you this morning my testimony of how God used Romans 1.17 to change my life and change the world. Now understand that what I'm about to share with you is not in print anywhere. This is me sharing with you spontaneously from my own experience and from the very Word of God, what He did in my life. So, as many of you already know, but for those who don't, my name is Martin Luther, and I was involved in those tumultuous days around the beginning of the Re Reformation. But before I get into my story, I would like to, to pray with us. So would you pray with me this morning? Our Father in heaven, it is good to be together as God's people. It is good to gather wherever we are, together, even while we are apart, to share together in your worship, to sit at your feet, and to share in the wealth and the riches of your word and of your gospel. I pray that even as you wrote this scripture upon my heart in my life, that you would write it upon this church and in their hearts and their lives, that they too may experience the reformation that it took place around the world in their own lives, that it would change everything. For we ask and we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, many of you have probably heard all the happenings a while back. I caused quite a stir. I didn't mean to. I assure you, I meant no harm. You see, I was just an Augustinian monk. I was a seminary professor. I was following all the rules. I was following and practicing the sacraments of the church. I was a professor teaching in our seminaries. But I found myself struggling so very deeply 
It is hard for me to express what was going on inside myself. I was so confused, and if the truth be told, I was, I was really living in a constant fear, a constant fear of God. Until God opened my eyes to the truth of His Word and the wonders of His grace, and when He did, my world was turned upside down. I thought it was a good idea to take and to nail the 95 insights onto the door of the Wittenberg Church. I thought it was a good idea to put forth these ideas that was, that was turning my world around. But I found out it was not such a good idea, maybe. I thought that there would be those who would be excited to hear what I had to share. It was so clear to me. It was so obvious. It was so wonderful. And while there were some who did receive my insights with joy, there were many who did not. Most of them wanted to kill me. I thought that the, the church would stop selling their indulgences. They would stop selling God's grace as if it was some kind of a, a commodity to be bought and sold in the marketplace. But instead, the church turned on me. The Pope and the church literally thought I had gone mad, that I had been possessed of some kind of a demon or something, that I had gone insane, temporarily insane. Well, insane I may be, but as I have said before, my conscience is captive to the Word of God. And here I stand, and I can do no other. So help me God. But I'm ahead of myself. Let me, let me back up and tell my story so that you can understand how God used this verse in my life because I, I never really even intended to be a monk. I, I, was, a, I was in law school. I was on my way to being a, a, law, a law professor somewhere or a lawyer. I had, I had a grand career that was planned out for myself. And then one summer day in 1505, I was 22 years old and I was returning to school from having been on break. And on my way on a lonely country road in the middle of nowhere, a thunderstorm, an awesome storm, rolled in over the top of me. I don't mean it passed by. I mean, it was right over me. I don't know if you've ever been in a storm quite like that. It was like nothing I had ever experienced. The thunder was, was so close, it was deafening. And the lightning flashes were blinding. And then a bolt fell from the sky so close, I didn't know anything else except that I had been thrown to the ground. My hair was standing on end. My body was still tingling. And the crack of its power was still ringing in my ears as the thunder continued, I found myself crying out, saying, Anne, help me, and I will become a monk. And as, the, as they say, the rest is history. I became a monk, an Augustinian monk. And I have to say, if I do say so myself, I was an excellent monk. I was good at it. I was a fastidious rule keeper. I, I, I liked the structure, and I, I did everything I was supposed to do. And they selected me for the priesthood, and, and part of that was I, I got to have the opportunity then to, uh, to lead my first Mass. And as I was going through the Mass and saying the words, I came to the, 
I came to the phrase, we offer unto thee the living and the true and the eternal God. Well, it was going well until I had to say those words. And I thought to myself, with what tongue shall I address such majesty? Seeing that all men ought to tremble in the presence of even an earthly prince. Who am I that I should lift up my eyes to the divine majesty? The angels surround him. And at his nod, the earth trembles. And shall I? <laughs> A miserable pygmy, shall I say, I want this? I ask for that? I was overwhelmed with a sense of his holiness. I was overwhelmed with a sense of his righteous judgment. I felt so small. I was terrified. It was like being struck by another lightning bolt. It's hard to express. But I found myself utterly terrified. I was standing there before God, as it were. So aware of my inner life, so aware of my sin, so aware of my weakness. And I knew, I just knew, that all of my efforts, that my religion, it was just inadequate. It, it was just not enough. It did not make me able and worthy to stand in such a presence. I knew that I just was not good enough. I was too acquainted with my own dark heart. Lust and pride and anger and laziness and selfishness and impatience. And you know how the list could go on. And I'm a little bit OCD, you know, about performing all the duties that were, that were on me. And, but I knew that even as I did all my duties, just as I was supposed to, my heart was not always in it. I was serving this God, this one who I could not even look at, and I was serving him, and I knew that my heart was not where it should be. I was falling short every day in all my performances, in all of my duties, and so I went to my confessor. I went to him every day. I was falling short every day, so I would go to him every day, and I would confess. I would confess everything that I could think of, every, every secret and hidden motive in my heart. Every misstep, every wrong thought, every bad attitude, I knew that every unconfessed sin would fall under the judgment of God. And so I was very thorough. Sometimes I would finish confessing and I would be halfway back to my rooms and I would remember some things and I would go back to my confessor's door and ask, I need to, I may to do an addendum to my confession. I was driving my Confessor nuts. He actually told me one time, you need to stop. You need to stop coming to see me until you have something, something real to confess. Something worth confessing. My friends, I always left. For all my confessing, I always left. Feeling the need to repent even of my repenting. 
hard to explain the pride, I guess, the humility, you know, being proud of my humility, then needing to repent of my repenting, so full of myself. Do you ever feel like that? Doing, feel that you're, you're doing and saying all the right things, following all the rules, doing the best you can, confessing even to the depths of your heart, but to know that something is still not right, to know that I'm still not good enough, to know that I still do not stand righteous before God, hold the weight of it. I was so tired. I tried so hard. It was never enough. It was never enough. I could never feel like God was pleased with me. And so the words, as I read the scriptures, like in verse 17, as I came to it in these days, and it said, in, in it the righteousness of God is being revealed and these words, the righteousness of God, would strike me with a condemning force. The weight of it was crushing because his righteousness being revealed from heaven. And I would look at the next verse and it would say, and the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And these two things conflated in my mind that his righteousness is being revealed and his wrath is being revealed against all unrighteousness. And, and it was being revealed because I knew, I knew that I was all unrighteousness. And it was being revealed against me. And if truth were fully told, I actually hated this verse in these words. The righteousness of God. These words terrified me. I knew that without a doubt, I deserved God's righteous judgment. I knew I deserved it. Every day I knew I deserved it. That's why I knocked down my confessor's door trying, trying to get out from under it. No matter what I did, I couldn't get out from under. And so my friends, my despair was almost complete in those days. It is hard for me to explain to you. If you can only imagine me as a monk and a, and a priest and a teacher going about my duties, teaching the word, serving, confessing, and miserable the whole time, terrified of the God I served. I could find no peace. I confessed so much that finally to silence me, they sent me away. They said, Martin, you need something else to occupy your mind. You should go to university. You should study. And so that's what I did. I went to the University of Erfurt, and there I took the doctorate, and I began to teach, and I began to teach through the Scriptures. I taught the Psalms. Oh, what a delight to teach through and to wade through and to bathe in the Psalms. And there was so much there that reflected my own soul. And I, I moved on to teaching the book of Galatians. And I have to say, in teaching that book, things were, were coming alive, things I didn't fully understand. I moved from Galatians into the book of Romans. And I was finding so much that did not line up with the teaching of the church. 
It just wasn't lining up. What I'm reading in the scripture, I don't, what I'm reading here is starting to be like water in my soul. And what I was working at and working at and working at in the church was so, so despairing upon me. And I could not marry the two things together. And I wrestled in verse 17 to understand what God's meaning was in this verse. What is this righteousness? Verse 17, he says, for in the righteousness of, for in it, that is the gospel, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And he's not ashamed of it, he says, because in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. <coughs> what did this mean? I wrestled with it. This righteousness had terrified me. And yet, it was part of a gospel, part of a good news, something I could not reconcile until one day the, the light just went on. I would say it was a revelation of God that he spoke to me, and he did through his word, bringing out the clear and true meaning of it to my mind and so to my soul in a way that was like cold water on a dry and parched soul one day I saw it and understood the grace of God for the first time. And I saw it written on every page of the Scripture. All of the Scripture began to make sense and to come together in, in one unified, grand, glorious message of not terror, but of good news. In verse 17, this righteousness that he speaks of, the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. This is, this is not the righteousness that I lived in fear of. It's, it's not that righteousness of God by, by which he, his wrath is revealed against head of mankind that stood over me, that stood against me, that was crushing me and condemning me. It wasn't, it wasn't wrath in that way. It was was something else and something more. He speaks of this righteousness that is good news because it is given to us through faith. This righteousness, he says, is not something that we can earn. It's, it's not something we can obtain ourselves. It is a righteousness that, that comes to us. It's not just the righteousness that is against us. It is a righteousness that comes to us from outside of ourselves as a gift. What? This righteousness is given to us as a gift of God's grace. A righteousness in which we ourselves are made righteous. Imagine that, me, for the righteousness that, that I didn't earn and can't earn and comes from outside of me and it makes me righteous right before God, freely, through faith. So how does this work? How, how can you and I, how can we become righteous with a righteousness that we did not earn? With a righteousness that we cannot obtain ourselves or, or rise up to, how can we who are unrighteous be counted righteous? How does it work? 
And the answer is here in the text. The text says it is by faith that this righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That it is revealed by faith from first to last. It is given to the heart of faith. We can become righteous by faith, not by what we do, not by our hard works, not by our strivings, not because we merited it, but we can receive it. I can't describe to you what it was like to lay down all of my doing, all of my striving and confessing, all of my self-righteousness, and to receive what God was freely offering to me in Christ. Now you would probably ask to me, what about my sin? What about my weak and corrupt heart? What about God's justice and judgment against sin? How can all of that just go to the wayside and he just hand out a righteousness? And the answer, my friends, is in the fullness of the gospel. Because the good news The the gospel, the message is that in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a righteousness is being revealed. A righteousness is being offered. It is through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that the justice of God is satisfied. It is not set aside. It is satisfied. That Jesus, he lived the life that you and I failed to live every day. The life that I was failing to live and the heart that I failed to work up in myself. Jesus lived the life that we failed, that I failed to live every day. And then Jesus died on the cross and there in his own body bore our sin. And the debt and the penalty that, that was due to us, he bore it in his own body. And the justice of God was satisfied in his death for us and the offering of his perfect life. And so I saw for the first time that if we put our faith in Jesus, who died for our sins, that our sins would be fully forgiven freely by his grace. And that his perfect life in righteousness would be credited to us. Not only would our sin debt be removed, But the righteous life that he lived, the one that I failed to live, would be credited to me. And that I would be righteous with the righteousness of Christ. That God would see me just as he saw his own son. As you start to look at the scriptures, my friends, it's everywhere. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read this, that for our sake... He, that is God, made Jesus, him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. In other words, Jesus, who lived the perfect life, who knew no sin, was made to be sin or to bear the penalty of our sin. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness, the very righteousness of God. My friends, do you see how just the world broke open? It was like the sun came up 
And how he who had no sin became sin for me and took my sin that was such a weight under the justice of God and he bore the penalty of it and he bore it away so that in him by faith and faith alone in the free gift of God we could become the righteousness of God. We could share in the very righteousness that I feared for so long. A righteousness that was purchased with the life and the death of Jesus Christ for us and on our behalf that, we, that, that his righteousness might be given to sinners like you and I as we put our faith and our trust in him. Oh, my friends, my long struggle was over. I was free. And oh, how the scriptures came alive. In my very hands, I saw it on every page. It all began to make sense. I could read Galatians and it made so much more sense. And the joy of his salvation that the psalmist spoke of, I could experience that joy of his salvation for myself for the first time, out from under the weight of it, because Jesus bore the weight of it and gave me a right standing with my God. Now, my friends, what does this mean for us? And let me just give us a few things that it meant for me. And if it meant so much to me, I think that as you understand them, that it can set you free and help you as well. And so a few, few things that it meant for me were this. Number one, and they're, they're very simple. They're things you've probably heard before. But simply this, my friend, everything we need is in Jesus Christ. Everything we need is in Jesus. And so secondly, it's this, that the Christian life is a life of faith and trust and freedom. And third, my friends, when we have everything we need in Jesus and we live by faith, there is no more fear. So first, everything that we need is in Jesus. The righteousness that, that we need to stand accepted before God without fear it is God's gift to us in Christ. That when Christ is yours by faith, all that is Christ is yours as well. That the righteousness that Jesus stands righteous before God in becomes ours. All that we need is in Christ. Paul put it this way in Philippians 3. He said, I count everything as a loss. Now when he says everything here, let me give you the context. Because it was like my context when he says everything was a loss, everything that Paul was thinking of was his spiritual resume. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was a keeper of the law. He was all these things. He had this spiritual resume. And when he understood what Jesus had done for him, all of that became rubbish. Just like for me, all of my striving and law-keeping and rule-keeping and confessing, I count everything a loss. All of my self-righteousness I count as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all these things. I don't want them anymore. I will stand on nothing of my own. I count all of my own righteousness as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, which I strove for for so many years to feel righteous, to feel accepted in my, my own strivings and workings and confessings. Not a righteousness of my own that comes from the law and my own works and my own striving, but which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith in Christ. Oh, to be done trusting in ourselves. We will be done with our striving. And all my righteousness is rubbish. We understand that 100% of my righteousness before God is, is in Christ. It is not my own. I did not produce it. I did not earn it. I could not add to it. I could not subtract to it. It is the very righteousness of Christ. It is a complete righteousness. It is a, an accepted righteousness before the Father. And it's the righteousness that I need if I'm going to stand before the Father without fear, without fear of judgment and condemnation. It is what I need, 100% Jesus. And in order to have 100% Jesus, I need to have zero me. That's what Paul is saying when he says, I count it all as rubbish. That I may gain that righteousness which is in Christ. And it is oh so complete and perfect forever. I can never, even as I could never earn it, I could never lose it. I could never diminish it. I stand in Jesus, that filthy robe of my sin. He wore on his body on the cross and destroyed it. So that his white robe of righteousness that, that is his own righteousness is given to me to wear on that day when I stand before God who is now my Father and not just my judge. And I stand accepted and loved as his Son because I stand everything that I need in Jesus. And so the Christian life, my friends, is a life of faith. It's a life that's focused on Jesus, not on my doing and what I'm doing and what I'm trying and what I'm striving, but a life that is fixed on what Jesus already did for me, clinging to the Savior and Him alone for my salvation. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. He loved me and he gave himself for me. I am no longer trying to earn God's favor. I'm done with that striving. Every day, I trust in the Lord Jesus for my righteousness. And every day when I turn my heart to the Father, I do so in the name of Jesus who is my righteousness. And I live by faith. And so I get up. It's not that I don't seek to live a life that is pleasing to God. I do. I strive every day to live a life that is pleasing to Him. But it is no longer a terror and a burden. It is now the joy of my soul. I want to please Him. Not so that He will accept me because He already has. He already loves me. He already accepts me. And so... I follow Jesus with a glad and willing heart. 
So everything we need is in Jesus, and the Christian life is a life of faith. And so finally, my friends, it is a life without fear. Praise be to God. No more fear. Oh, the fear of those days when I think back can sometimes rise up like a weight in my soul. But I remember every day I live by faith in the Son of God. The Scripture says in Romans 8, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And every day I preach it to my soul. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. There is only the joy of His salvation because we stand redeemed and set free in His Son, Jesus. In 1 John 4.18 it says, There is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. My friend, there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no more punishment. So there is no more fear. Right? Because His perfect, saving love has set me free from condemnation and the fear that comes with it. No condemnation, fear is cast out. My friends, it is hard for me to express the weight that has been lifted from my soul. It is hard for me to express the light and the joy that comes from knowing what Jesus has done on my behalf and all that He has given me through faith in Him, the freedom that I have experienced, trusting in Christ alone for my righteousness. Oh, my friends, I do not regret my years of struggle because those years helped me to see how spiritually bankrupt I really am. That I can say with Paul that all those things, that had everything that I at any time treasured or thought good in myself, I now consider rubbish. And all my striving helped me to let go of my own self-righteousness. To embrace a spiritual bankruptcy. So that I could invest myself fully in Jesus. And be the recipient of 100% grace and righteousness in Him. My friends, if, if you have struggled as I have, and I have encountered many through the years who have struggled to believe that God loves you, struggled to believe that He could be pleased with you because you know your own heart and because you struggle to do the right thing and because you fail along the way and that even in your confessing you feel that you need to repent of your repenting. And I understand, my friends. I know what it is to be on that wheel that just goes round and round seeking to feel the love of God, to feel His pleasure, to know that you are accepted and not condemned. My friends, if this has been your struggle, it is time to lay down your dirty doing, your striving and your struggling and your sense of your own righteousness, to look away from yourselves and to look to the Lord Jesus and to put your faith and your trust in Him and in Him alone.
as the one who satisfies the judgment and the justice of God on your behalf. And then credit to you the very righteousness of his own divine and perfect life. The one who paid the penalty of your sin has done all for you that you may stand in the presence of God without fear. And if you will give your heart and your life to him today, my friends, even as I did so long ago, interestingly that I had been a monk and a priest and a professor in a seminary without ever having understood his grace. And as I came to Christ that day, in faith, it was the first day of the rest of my life, even as it can be the first day of the rest of yours. If you will bow before him, put your faith and your trust in him, and embrace his righteousness as your own. Pray with me, my friends. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that when we could not save ourselves, that you so loved the world you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him would not perish and be condemned, but would have an everlasting life through faith in Christ, resting in his righteousness. Oh, Father, would you open our eyes and our hearts this morning to see Jesus as everything that we need to stand righteous in your sight. Oh, help us to live by faith, to put our trust in him and in him alone in such a way that we would live from this day forward with no fear, experiencing the joy of your salvation that is ours by grace and through faith in Christ alone, in whose name we do pray. Amen.